everyone, it's Pastor Kevin here with Thrive Church. Man, thanks so much. We're honored that you would stop by and actually listen to our messages online. We're in a series right now in the book of Titus. And as you know, we like to take time throughout the year to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible and just study that together. And so this message today will be on the book of Titus, and we want you to be able to dig into God's Word to understand what Paul was writing to a guy that he mentored, to a guy that was pastoring a local church, who was helping Paul plant churches. And there are some really powerful insights in this book called Titus to help us understand how we can influence our culture with the gospel. So today, I pray that this message will help you take next steps in your faith journey so you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because your growth matters to us. Enjoy today's message. Today, quickly, I have this really cool hoodie on, and there's a reason for it. It's strategic because our mission teams, our last day of selling shirts is today. And so if you are in the place that need a new wardrobe upgrade, then go to our uh, table over here where they're selling mission shirts and things of that nature. We'll also be doing uh, selling some food. They'll be doing barbecue. Everybody likes barbecue, right? Uh, to raise money for two mission trips this year. So that's uh, really awesome. So hopefully you guys will get a chance to do that. Well, today, you've not come to hear about t-shirts. You've come to hear about the book of Titus. So we're actually in, if you've joined us, in the letter of Titus in week three of this. And we've been looking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Titus. One thing we love to do at Thrive is take time throughout the year. We'll be doing uh, First Thessalonians this year. We'll be doing uh, even studying Joseph this year. We love to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter. A few reasons. Number one, it keeps this preacher honest. It's really easy to preach Elijah. All right? That's some good stuff there. Sometimes it's harder to preach when you got instructional New Testament teaching. So I'm actually excited about doing that. The second reason we do it is because I'd love for you to follow along. Hopefully you will crack open the Word of God and you'll read with us and say, I did never understood that. That makes so much sense now. And so that's one thing that we love to do here. So if you will, go ahead and turn your copy of God's Word to Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Well, when I planted my first church in South Florida, uh, the first guy ever to join our team was a guy named Billy. Billy did not know how much I loved college football. He had no clue. He doesn't like football at all. So here's what we've done. Billy is actually going to uh, talk to you today for a few minutes about his experience with me in college football. If you will, turn your attention to this. My friend Billy Centron, he had no clue how much NC State football meant to me. He thought he was coming to eat some chips and hang out and talk. One thing I do not do during uh, sports games when I'm watching them of any sort is I don't talk, right? And so, uh, but Billy had no clue about college football. He didn't know that people were that excited about football at all. But can I tell you something? The several years I lived in South Florida, when Billy came over to watch a game, do you think he understood how passionate I was about college football and NC State football? He thought, you know, he saw the enthusiasm that I had. He saw how much it meant to me. And it began to influence him to the point that Billy said, I'm going to buy an NC State shirt just so I feel like I'm in the crowd, in the game with you when you're watching this game. Now today, you didn't come to hear about football and my enthusiasm for it, but there's a principle at work here. What happens is when you're enthusiastic about something, when you're excited about something, it literally can spread to other people where they get excited about the same thing that you're excited about as well. And that's what happens with the gospel. 
And today what we're going to look at in Titus as we studied this, we're going to look at the power of influence. And so here's today's big idea. I want you to write this down in your notes. We're going to unpack this today. It's a life that is influenced by the gospel influences others to the gospel. A life that is influenced by the gospel will always influence others to the gospel. The same way that my football influence spread to Billy, the goal is if you're a follower of Jesus is that the influence that Jesus has made on you will influence other people in their life. That the message of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, that he is Lord and that he forgives and he cleanses us of sins and makes us right with our creator should impact other people around us. And so what we've been doing, we've been looking at this guy named Titus. If you've never looked at this book, he was a protege of the apostle Paul. And Paul was the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And what he did in the first century, he traveled everywhere where there were no Christians and no churches. And he would preach the gospel, churches would spring up, Paul would raise up leaders, and boom, he's off to the next place. Matter of fact, Paul only spent two years as his longest pastoral stint, and that was in Ephesus. And so what happened is Paul goes to this this island called Crete. He goes there and the gospel is presented and people are like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And these churches begin just to spring up, but they had no leaders. So he said, Titus, I need help. And what he did was, we learned in week one, that Titus found his purpose by solving a problem. Remember I told you, don't ever look for purpose. Always look for a problem to solve. And when you solve somebody else's problem, that's when you find purpose. So what was the problem? Titus raise up leaders in these churches, godly leaders in each one of these places in Crete. That's what Titus went and did. Remember last week, we told you about the goal of the gospel is not to make life better, but to make us better at life, to live godly lives. And God wanted godly leaders to be raised up in these first century churches. Why? So people could live godly. Well, why is that? And that's what we're going to look at today. Why did Titus and those leaders have the task of training people to live godly, to live like Christ? Why is that? I want us to look at Titus chapter 2 verse 1 and we're going to look again at the letter that Paul wrote to this individual, Titus, his protege. And remember how this was done in the New Testament in the first century? Like these letters when they were circulated like the book of Romans, what they did was that when it was sent there, they read it all at one sitting, all 16 chapters of Romans. So if you think 15 verses is a lot, baby, if you're in the first century, you're like, now, chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren. Like, you know, like you're like, this man has got to hurry up. This could go on for a few hours. We're going to look at 15 verses a day, not 15 chapters, but that's how it was done. And so this would have been read as well in the churches at Crete. So they understood the purpose. And here's what Paul says to Titus. He says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Case in point, the goal of leaders is not to tell others what to do. It's to live in such a way that others can follow what they do. I'm going to say it one more time. You just totally just glazed over. A good teacher is not good just because of what they teach. A good teacher is good because of what they live. And Paul is saying, Titus, be the type of leader that's worth following. Be the example to people where they can follow you in every area of life. That's why people say, I want to go into ministry. It's like, oh, you do. Are you ready for every area of your life to be scrutinized? How you handle your money, how you speak to your wife, how you speak to your children, what you watch. Because it's not what you teach, it's what you live. And Paul was telling Titus, make sure you do that. He says, then teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. 
They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Then he goes to the next group in that church. Similarly, teach the older women. Now, first of all, Paul just made a big mistake. You never call a woman old. <laughs> he should have said the more mature saints that are women in the church. <laughs> I love what he says to them. Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others, be gossipy, or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Let me just say this real quick. If, if you're somebody who's more mature in your faith than here, there's a point in time you stop sitting and soaking and you start training and teaching others to do it. That's what Paul was saying. You know, one of the issues with getting fed is there's a point in time that you know so much the only way you're going to get fed is when you teach somebody else. The best way to learn is to teach someone else. He's saying older women, train these younger women, man. Teach them to do what? To love their husbands and their children. To live wisely and be pure. To work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. And some of y'all said, whoa, wait a minute, Willis. I ain't going to be submissive to nobody. I want you to realize something real quick. There's a few things that you may miss because of first century context. You can't just read the Bible in 21st century. You've got to think about first century. Do you realize that the women's rights movement didn't start with Susan B. Anthony? Do you understand that Jesus and Christianity elevated the rights of human beings because of what we call the Imago Dei, we're all made in the image of God? Rome didn't believe that. Rome believed women were secondary people to men. That's what they believed. They didn't believe that even children had rights. So like, it, it, you know, we, we, we were like, man, we get set about hot topic issues today. Do you know what they should do in Rome? They would take babies and lay them by the river. And they had a thing that said, if it's the fate of the gods. It's the fate of the gods. If they make it, the gods want it. They were brutal. They believed in enslaving people. Rome wasn't a good place to live in the first century. But Jesus and Christianity, they raised the level for women. That's where it started at. Look at the teachings of Jesus when he meets the woman caught in adultery and the men want to condemn her and he ends up condemning them. Look at... Paul writing to the church in Galatia saying that, that we are on level playing field for we're all in Christ. You see that Priscilla and Aquila led in the early church together. There was a, a man and woman duo that led. You see Lydia was a key person in the church at Philippi. So when you think about women's rights movement, it didn't start with a political agenda and some minority party. It started here. And so here's what would happen many times in their church environments. Women were not permitted to speak at all. And many times in these environments, they would sit separately. So you had Susie over here and Frankie over here. If that's your name today, I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't, I'm trying to choose names. You have Susie. And so even in their church services, what would happen is that, you know, Susie would holler at Frankie and say, hey, Frankie. Because now she had a right to speak. Blah, blah, blah. And Paul was trying to set ground rules for many things, especially about don't be argumentative. People are looking at your marriage and they will judge the gospel based on your marriage. I want you to learn to understand something. The Bible doesn't lean toward women, you just better shut up and obey that man. There's something that's never taught, and it's this. You know what Paul told the church at Ephesus? In Ephesians, he said, This man. And you, you're going to hate me for this. He said, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died and gave himself up for it. Men, you are to love your wife 
as Christ loved the church. I don't think there's any greater love than Christ for us, right? There's not a greater sacrifice. Men are called to sacrifice and do things at a level that he's just not asked women to do in a relationship. He says, wives, respect your husbands, right? Men, stop whining. Stop being a baby. Climb up on that cross if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and show her that you will love her just like Christ loved the church. It will take everything within you. So women, when you hear something like this, you think, oh man, they're making me. No, 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 no. I think the man has the greater responsibility in the relationship to do that. And if you're single in here, honey, if he ain't willing to climb up on the cross to show you that love, don't put a ring on it. Because <laughs> that's the role of a husband in there. So I want you to realize the goal of the passage we're reading is to make the gospel attractive. And you'll see that. It's to, it's to actually show people the love of Jesus in everything that we do. And you'll see that even in relationships. So he says that. And then he says this. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. If student ministries directors, kids directors in here. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Now verse 9. Let me give you a disclaimer. He's going to talk about slaves in relationship to their masters. Number one, Paul never advocated slavery as being good, right? He never did. He actually wrote a letter to a guy named Philemon. He wrote about Onesiphorus and Philemon and that relationship. He said, now that he's in Christ, how about you just set it, you guys, as being equals? I hear so many times that Christianity has so many atrocities throughout the centuries. Well, look at this and look at that. Can I tell you when it comes to slavery, why slavery first fell in Europe? Your professors will never tell you this in college. They'll never tell you this in university. Why did slavery first fall in Europe? And it wasn't because some political party had an agenda. There was a man named William Wilberforce. Watch the movie Amazing Grace. Fact check me and study. William Wilberforce stood up in front of Parliament. And what he used to disband the atrocity of slavery in Europe was the Bible and the Word of God because we've all been made in the image of God. When you see a powerful civil rights movement happen in America, it happened by people of faith. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was he an atheist that just hated Christianity, wanted to fall down? Was that, was that, was that what he did? I think he was a reverend and I think he preached the gospel and that was the basis of what he did. And so as you read this about slaves here and he's trying to help slaves. In Rome you had no you know, legislature to try to get rid of slavery. What Caesar said you did. There was no way to get out of slavery there. So the only thing Paul knew to do was it is what it is and we can't know what to do to change it. But he did know this that you could impact the people that are your masters and to the point where they want to follow Jesus. And so that's where that comes from because I want you to realize here that this is not advocating that. The slavery was terrible and we're so glad that in America that has been done away with. Verse 9, he says, Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Why is that? And this is for everybody in that church in that day and time in Crete. He says, then, watch this, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. 
That is the goal for everybody. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's to make the teaching of God our Savior attractive in every way. Then he goes on to say this. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Meaning that people can all have the, the ability to come to save in faith. And we're instructed to turn from godless living, if you're a believer, this is for you, and from sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Verse 14, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. This is beautiful. This is the gospel to cleanse us and to make us his very own people committed, committed, totally committed to doing good deeds. Titus, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to, to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. The goal of what's being done here is, is he saying, Titus, we want to have the people in that local congregation in Crete to live in a way that makes the gospel attractive to others. Whether you're a, a young person, an old person, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're an employee, whether you're a slave, wherever, whatever you are, make the gospel attractive. Because see, here's the deal. A life influenced by the gospel will influence others to the gospel. And that's the goal. That's the goal is to be influenced by that. For me, my story, and this is all I know, I don't know your story, but I had a friend named Eric who made the gospel attractive to me. I, I knew church, right? Like, 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 I mean, I grew up in Turkey, North Carolina. If there's a rung on the Bible belt, that's got to be one. And so I was always told what you didn't do and what would send you to hell. Oh, don't do that, it's going to send you straight to hell. Don't you do this, don't you do that. And, and, but I never, I never knew anybody that loved Jesus. I can't think about, about anybody. There was all, they were mean. Christians were really mean, right? I remember like playing with a G.I. Joe man in church and a deacon pulled me out and he explained to me how a man in the army, I was, literally I was seven years old, how a man in the army next to him got his brains blew out and how playing with G.I. Joe's is sacrilegious and he took it and threw it in the trash. My grandpa wouldn't let me watch Smurfs, y'all. Because of magic. And I'm telling you what I grew up in. So for me, church and gospel wasn't attractive. I thought it was all just a sham. I thought these people were idiots. I, I was an atheist. I believed that aliens had created all this. And we were just testing. I don't believe that now. But that's what I believed. I didn't believe in any of this mumbo jumbo stuff. But can I tell you something? My best friend who did everything with me. Like we were just, I mean like, you know, if it was illegal, we did it. My best friend in one week's life was completely changed. He went away to a youth camp. His parents said he's gone for the week. He's going to a camp. I was like, camp? What is this? Like middle school? Um, you know, and then he comes back and he's like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, man, I don't do this anymore. He's like, man, I gave my life to Jesus. And I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, well, good for you, man. You want to get party this weekend? He's like, did you hear what I said? But my friend Eric had a twinkle in his eye. His life was completely changed. And I can I tell you something? I got super curious about him and about the change in his life. I wanted to know why is it that you've changed? He made the gospel attractive to me. He didn't tell me to stop doing stuff. He didn't tell me to stop doing this and stop doing that. He simply made the gospel attractive. And his influence on my life is the reason that I am here today. And I want to tell you that when your life has been influenced by the gospel, by the message of Jesus, you want to influence others to it. In America, though, here's where we're at. 
we're impacted by church. And we should love church. Hopefully you love the church that you attend, right? Hopefully you love Thrive if you attend here. But many people love church. They love the music and love programs. But I'm not sure how much they love Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if they had the testimony that Jesus literally has changed their life and they, they owe everything to him. I don't know how many people in America believe that, they're, that, they're, that they were sinners on the way to hell and that this loving God sent his son to, to die on the cross and rise again to save them and that he rescued them. I give the story all the time about my two rescue dogs. What did they do to become rescue dogs? They were just rescue dogs. And out of love, I rescued them. What did you become uh, to get saved? You just brought your, your sin to God. And God's like, you know what? I'm going to pay the price for that because I love you that much. Many times we're so in love with things that aren't actually Jesus. And here's the goal of Thrive. I don't want you just to say, yeah, I love Thrive Church. I want you to say, because of Thrive, I love Jesus more. That's the goal of it. Because when you do that, you make the gospel of God attractive in every way. And so you got to just ask yourself, man, am I making the gospel attractive? Is this what I'm doing? For me... Here's what I'm trying to do. Remember last week we said invest in the process. Remember that? Like, you know, as you're growing in Christ, you're going to have some things you struggle with. Invest in it. Here's where I'm struggling and here's where I've tried to get better. I love to play basketball. I play a lot. I love, I'm just a competitive person. Here's the deal, guys. You are told it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play play the game. I, I don't subscribe to that. Have you ever been on a losing team? (laughs) It's not fun. Losing is not fun. Like by the end of the season, you're like, I don't want to play anymore. I think winning's fun. So therefore, because I think winning's fun, I will do everything I can to win. I would argue calls. I would get in your face. I just like, I wanted to win. That's what I wanted to do. And in doing that, even as a believer, there were times I almost got in fights with people on the court because I wanted to win. Because I wanted to show them that, hey, I'm competitive and I will beat your tail at this sport. And that's what I did. But can I tell you something? I wasn't making the gospel attractive to anybody. Oh, yeah, I may win the argument and get the call, but nobody wants to follow Jesus after playing basketball with me. And I've been so convicted over the years. When I say invest in the process, if you're struggling in an area, you're like, yeah, the gospel's not really attractive in my life because of this. It's okay because literally, I feel like for the first time ever in the past few years, I actually get it. I'm actually like, you know what? The win for me is not winning the game. The win for me is that the gospel is attractive to somebody. That somebody else sees Jesus in me. It's like, well, why isn't this guy arguing like every other knucklehead? Why isn't he cussing and wanting to fight people? Well, why isn't he doing that? Why does he say, man, I respect your call. It's all, it's all good, man. It's all good. Why is he doing that? You know why? Because I want them to know that I love Jesus. As a matter of fact, here's what happened Thursday. I hadn't played basketball in a month. But I'm nursing a knee injury. I walk into the gym. James, this really big guy, comes and puts his arm around me. He's like, hey, bro. He's like, Kevin, dude. He's like, I was online the other night watching something I shouldn't watch. And he was probably joking. He's a joker. He said, and all of a sudden, an advertisement popped up. He said, I kept looking. He's like, man, I know that bald guy. Where do I know that bald guy from? He said, because I don't play basketball in class. He's like, that's Kevin. I know Kevin, man. And me and James just cut up. He asked about the church and things like that. Uh, Can I tell you something? What if I was a complete jerk to James out there on the court and he saw that advertisement when I walked in? Do you think it would have made a a difference? Oh, yeah, he's another one of those charlatans. 
See, I want to make the gospel attractive to everybody in my life. I want to make the gospel attractive to my son who sees a man who loves Jesus because of what Jesus has done for him. So here's a question you and I have to wrestle with. And you need to write this down. This is our next step. So every day you've got to ask yourself this question. Do I make, write this down, the gospel attractive to others? Do I make the gospel attractive to others? Because that's the goal of following Jesus. Is that when you're so influenced by the gospel, you're going to influence others to the gospel. Does that make sense? That I want to make it attractive to others. And if you're like me, you have a few areas of your life you really struggle with this. Maybe it's your job and you've got some knuckleheaded co-workers that just drive you crazy, right? And you're like, man, how do I make it attractive to these guys? Because you know what? Maybe I don't want to make it attractive. Maybe I don't want them to know Jesus or even come to my church because I don't want to get away from them. <laughs> they come to church with me, i got to be with them six out of seven days out of the week. I'm not sure what you struggle with, but the question is, do I make the gospel attractive to other people? So the other question you should be asking is, how do we make the gospel attractive to others? How do we do that? I thought you would never ask. There are three ways I want you to write down here. Why not four? I ain't got time for four. I got time for three. So here are three things I want you to write down. Number one is this. Honor God in all areas of your life. If you want to make the gospel attractive to other people, honor God in all areas of your life. We are, I especially believe in Americanized, westernized Christianity, we are kings of compartmentalizing, aren't we? Like we have this, this, this chest of drawers, Christianity, where like drawer number one's mine. God, this ain't yours and you ain't touching it. Drawer number two, I'll give that to you, God. You got Sunday twice a month. Drawer number three, it's locked. God ain't getting in there, ever. Nobody's getting in that drawer. Drawer number four, well, no, no, no. That, 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 that's the way I, I, I handle my money. I do this. God, no. But drawer number five, yeah, God, you can have that too. And we tend to live a compartmentalized Christianity instead of a holistic Christianity. Did Jesus die and rise again for just a part of your life? No, it's for everything. It's to honor God in all areas of your life. And that should be the goal of a Christ follower. See, the thing is, what I grew up with, I was taught this. Well, why don't you do that? The Bible says don't do it and you go to hell. Whoa, okay. I guess I'm going to hell then. I mean, that's, that's what I thought. So, well, when you're in high school, like, well, why don't you go do parties like that, man? Why don't you go to a party? I don't do that. The Bible says you go to hell. Well, I guess I'm going to go to hell. You know what Eric taught me? Why don't you do that? Man, I love Jesus so much, and he redeemed me, and I just want to honor him in all that I do because I love him so much. You see the flip side of that? There's a thought where it's like, ah, I just don't do that. When you want to honor God because of all that he's done for you through Jesus, you want your whole life to be given to him. You want to give everything that you have because he rescued you. That's the gospel. And when that captures your heart, it's easy to honor God in every area of your life. And it makes it attractive to other people. It does. Like, like for instance, when I gave my life to Christ uh, in, in 1999, I, I, I just left East Carolina, East Carolina University. Or I didn't leave there. They, they kicked me out and said, don't you ever come back again. Don't come back here no more, no more, no more. So like, there's there no more East Carolina either, but I got kicked out of there. And I'll never forget when I gave my life to Christ, I called back to the, the dorm in the area that I was at and talked to my friend Dustin and some other guys were in the room and I called back and I was talking to them and then a call came in on call waiting. You guys remember call waiting? You remember that? Young people, Google call waiting. You'll get to learn all about it. It was a, 
It was a very annoying device. So anyway, because you couldn't tell who was calling, right? So you had to click when it beeped twice. Y'all know nothing about no call waiting. So anyway, so anyway, I, I clicked over and I was talking to somebody and I clicked back and I heard Dustin talking to all the guys and he said, hey, he says, I think Kevin's like a prophet or something now, man. Like, like he doesn't do any of this stuff anymore. Like I offered to do this. He said, no, I offered to do that. He said, something's like, something's wrong with him, man. Like, yeah, I think he joined a cult or something. Something's way off with him. And I said, Dustin, Dustin, is Kevin. And I began to talk with him. He was just like, he's like, man, that's just crazy. And all these guys were there in that room that day. And then I'll never forget, a few years later, I found my friend Dave's number, who was a roommate. Dave was an Italian from New Jersey. I'm married from an Italian from New York, Colombian Italian from New York. So, I, you know, so they're very fiery. And um, he used a lot of expletives. So I called Dave. He was a Catholic. And Dave's like, Bordeaux, what's going on? Blank, 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 blank. You know, everything. He said, well, what have you been doing? I said, man, I got saved. He's like, what the blank does save mean? What is that? Are you like, like a father or something? Are you like, you know, do you do, do mass or something? What, what does all this mean? I said, well, it means, and I tried to explain the gospel to him. He's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, well, no. What and so I, I kept trying. He kept asking me, do I do these things? And I said, no, man. I mean, I love Jesus and I'm, my life's been changed. It's awesome. Anyway, that conversation left awkwardly. Like, you ever know you leave an awkward conversation? You're like, yeah, he didn't get that. This is terrible. But can I tell you something? When we connected on social media, Dave began to share these these Bible quotes. And he was sharing these preachers. I was like... So I messaged Dave. I was like, Dave, hey, it's Kevin. How you been doing? He's like, good, good, good. He's now a college basketball coach. Like, that's pretty awesome how God's elevated him and used him. And we got to talk. And he said, man, he said, I now follow Jesus. And my wife's a believer. He said, I thought it was weird what you were doing. He says, but man, you got my attention because I knew Bordeaux and that wasn't Bordeaux. And whatever got hold of Bordeaux, I wanted to know about it. See, when you honor God in all areas of your life, it gets the attention of people who don't follow Jesus. So how do you make the gospel attractive? Honor God in all areas of your life. The second thing that we're going to do is this. Write this down. Sacrifice to the point that it means something. Sacrifice to the point that it actually means something. I think the thing that kills American Christianity today is that we have such casual Christianity. Like I don't know what that sacrifice means for you. But I do know this, that right now in our country, we're in, like, like you, have, you have America, Canada, and Europe. So if you want to look at where we're going to be in 50 years, look at Europe. That's where it's headed, right? Canada's kind of 25, 30 years ahead of us. But the largest growing religious group or really non-religious group in America is called the nuns. Not N-U-N's, the N-O-N-E-S's. Means they ascribe to no religion, they ascribe to nothing, they don't really believe anything's out there. And there was a guy who, who, who serves in journalism, and he said, this is the interesting fact about the nuns in America. We all think that everybody's against evangelical Christianity, and they all want to destroy us, and everybody hates Christians. Here's the thing about most journalists. He said this, he says, they think it's just an antiquated relic. They don't believe anybody really follows it. Because people who are in journalism that claim to be followers of Jesus, they have no evidence of fruit in their life that they even follow Jesus. He said, and being a follower of Jesus there, when he talks about what he doesn't do because he follows Jesus or his lifestyle, they, they just think it's the, like, wow, tell us more. People actually do this? They just think Christianity is totally irrelevant in America. They're not against it. They just don't know it exists. They don't know that people actually sacrifice to follow Jesus and Jesus means something to them. And if you want to get somebody's attention, sacrifice to the point that it means something. When you think about Christianity in the first to the third centuries, 120 people were in an upper room praying. 
third century, Constantine says, this has got to become the national religion. You know how? Study it. They never raised a sword. They never fought back. Every emperor, every leader thought the way to kill Christianity, because it was so threatening to Rome, was to kill them. Second century Nero, Nero would light Christians on fire for light at their celebrations. Children and families lit on fire because they would not denounce the name of Jesus. Domitian would throw Christians into a den of lions, lions and know they were not miraculously saved from it. They watched their children ripped apart by lions because they believed that Jesus was Lord and they would not bow to Caesar. Study, study the first to the third centuries of Christianity. Christianity went to the dark ages and started fighting wars and it became nationalized. You can't nationalize Christianity. You can't nationalize it. Do you, do you understand that? And when it did, it lost all influence. It went through the dark ages and did not surface again into the 15th century of Martin Luther. Because it got the attention of Rome. Because they said, here's how we'll get rid of Christianity. We'll throw them to lions. We'll light them on fire. We'll, we'll take them out. And it kept growing. Because people took note and they said, if they're willing to watch their children and give their life up, watch their children thrown into a den of lions because they won't denounce Jesus, I want to be a part of that because something's real about it. And in today's society, Christians are scared to sacrifice anything. And the very fact that I mention it to some of you here today, you're arguing in your head with me and upset with me. But if you want to get somebody's attention, sacrifice to the point that it means something to you. And if it means something to you, church, can I tell you, it means something to them. But if it means nothing to us as believers, it will mean nothing to them as non-believers in their life. Before I gave my life to Christ, there was a guy named Mike at ECU. And I was really getting curious about Christianity. It's the time my, my friend Eric had given his life to Christ. I was wondering about this Christianity thing. And my friend Mike, I don't know what he, I don't know what he believed. I don't even know if he was, I don't, I don't know anything. I know he went to a church of some sort, whether it was a Catholic church, Presbyterian church, Episcopal, Baptist. I don't know where, where he went or what he did. But Mike, Mike was seen as holy to us in our dorm. We literally considered Mike a holy man. You know why? Because he sacrificed. Now you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> Mike would not do drugs. Now Mike would drink a fifth of liquor like it was, you know, water. <laughs> he wouldn't do any drugs. And to me, I was like, whoa, he's got to be holy, man. He won't do drugs. Come on, Mike. Mike would not have premarital sex. Mike rounded third base many times. You, you, you can talk about that, uh, you know, if your children aren't in children's church. But he wouldn't do, he would, I thought, he's holy. And Mike, Mike, are you ready? Mike would bow his head over a meal and not say a word and then come up. And we're like, whoa. <laughs> Mike at night, before he went to bed, would lay in bed and mumble some prayers. He'd be drunk as a skunk. He'd be mumbling prayers. <laughs> and we thought, shh. Like we've been there, you hang on. We thought, my, but can I tell you something? To me, he sacrificed. Like, like I know it's funny that all of us today were thinking, really? But to me, that got my attention. I'm thinking, why would anybody give up anything for some antiquated, dumb religion like Christianity? Why would anybody do that? And it got my attention because he sacrificed to the point that it meant something for him. I know it was, it's, it's a funny sacrifice. But it got my attention. It made the gospel attractive to me. And when we sacrifice to the point that it means something, it makes the gospel attractive to other people. When other people hear, you know, what my wife and I have given up for the gospel and what we've given up to serve God and that, man, we give more than 10% of our income to missions and, and the movement of the church around the world, people are like, you do what? 
how in the world do you? It's like, man, we just love Jesus so much. We sacrifice because he's done all that he has for us and given his life for us. See, you make the gospel attractive when you honor God in all areas, when you sacrifice to the point that it means something. And here's the third, third and final point. You'll make the gospel attractive when you live with a growing affection for Jesus. When you live with a growing affection for Jesus. See, people that are not following Jesus need to see people in love with Jesus. Not in people in love with politics. Not preaching the gospel of politics. Not preaching the gospel of their church. Invite them to church. That's good. Please, please, that's what you'll do. We we give you on ramps all the time to do that. But people need to see you have a growing affection for the one who gave his life for you. And that will make the gospel attractive. As I said before, for me, I grew up in rural North Carolina. Everybody went to church at some point. Everybody believed, you know, like they did at some point. I I hated church. I, I hated religion. It was boring when I went to church. I mean, if you think church is boring now, young people, let me tell you something. Look, look at me. If you under the age, look at me under age 18. You think church is boring now? You're like, oh, he ever said. When I was in church, man, we, we, we literally read our music from books, right? Some of the worst, like, the people who, like, they chose the ones who couldn't sing a lick that were singing. An out-of-tune piano, right? Out-of-tune piano. <laughs> And his words you didn't understand, a bulwark. What is a bulwark? I don't know what a mighty, you know, he's a bulwark. I don't know what that means. Like, I just didn't understand anything. He's got words I couldn't understand. And the only thing that made church interesting, I said on the back row as a little kid. And on the back row as a little kid, there's a man named James with no teeth. He lived at a turkey farm. He would give me really spearmint chewing gum all through that church service. And that made church. If you think church is really boring now, you ought to go back to deal with what I dealt with, right? <laughs> But I'll never forget when I came back in March 1st, 1999, I came back to a, worship, a youth worship service. I was invited by, by my friends who were skateboarding. We skateboarded all the time together. And they said, hey, we're going to youth church, a youth group tonight. And they were like, hey, man, we're going to smoke pot, sit in the back, and we're going to see if we can hit on some girls. And I was like, and I never would go with, with them to church. I thought that was lame. I was like, you're going to church? To, I was like, dude, that's lame. I would never go. That night, March 1st, I said, hey, you guys going to church tonight? And they said, yeah, man. We're going to meet some girls. I was like, no, nah, I don't want to, man. I said, I think, I think I'm going to get saved. They're like, what? Yeah. You know what, man? I, I think there's something to this Jesus guy. Remember Eric? Eric skated with us. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, isn't that crazy what happened to him? They're like, yeah, man, it is. We had this long conversation. So, so, so we go to church that night. And when I walked in church, we sat in the very back row. And I'll never forget the mental snapshot that I will always have the rest of my life in that church. When I, they, they actually had a band that played music because in 1999, that was rare in the rural south. They were all students who were playing this music. And then here's what got me. This is why living with a growing affection for Jesus matters so much. They weren't made to come to youth group. I saw them lifting hands during worship, and, I, and I'm going to tell you what, like, I didn't know what in the world was going on. Like, they were trying to ask a question. <laughs> I didn't know what they were doing. But I realized what was happening. I said, oh, they're, they're doing that because they love Jesus, and they're singing this song called I Exalt Thee, and I don't know what exalt really means. I think it's something like, you know, I'm trying to figure that out, and as they sang the songs, I was trying to figure out what it meant and why they were doing what they were doing. That's why I tell our worship team all the time. It's just, don't, don't, don't just play worship for believers. You're playing for non-believers too, like me who was sitting in the back. 
And as I saw these students loving Jesus, I said, there's got to be something real about this. And then on the screen that night, in 1999, they showed a video sermon. David Green was on the screen. He had cerebral palsy. He was preaching this message. He said, I have cerebral palsy. I should hate God for what he's done to me. He said, but I've given my life to Jesus because I love him. He said, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? And I sat in that back. And when it was time after service, the youth pastor said, if you don't give your life to Christ after service, you just, everything's dismissed. Come talk to me. When I got up, I made a beeline. And my friend was like, whoa. And I talked to the youth pastor that night. I said, man, I... I want to give my life to Jesus. I'll never forget. I can remember the exact spot where I was at when I prayed that prayer. You know why? Because somebody made the gospel attractive to me. That's what the whole point was there of why Titus was teaching those guys in Crete to live like they should live. To make the gospel attractive. And I believe in Richmond and in Chesterfield County and in Rico and in all the different areas of our metro area that we'll all go to. That the goal, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to make the gospel of our God attractive in every way to everyone we come in contact with. Do you know that you are that Mike to someone? Hopefully you do it. Hopefully you sacrifice a little better than Mike did. Do you know that you are Eric to someone? Do you know that someone's watching your life and you will make the gospel attractive to them? And they're going to wonder, what is this Jesus thing about? Because you are so different. There was this rumor going around Clinton, North Carolina, a town of 7,000 people, that Kevin Bordeaux got saved. I'll never forget at youth one night, Lindsay comes up to me. She says, well, let me tell you something. She says, the girl I work with, she said, I told her that, she, she said, I don't believe in that religion junk. I said, oh, it's all real. You know why? I said, this guy named Kevin Bordeaux got saved. She said, Kevin Bordeaux, he didn't, he doesn't know, way. And she said, yeah. And, and, and literally that girl had to come to church the next week just to see if it was real. <laughs> see, you are going to make the gospel attractive to someone. And it's going to draw them to Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to love Jesus. And when you do, it makes all the difference in the world. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a 2,000-year-old letter that still rings true today. Thank you, God, for your inspired word. I pray today, God, that you would help us make the gospel, the message of Jesus, attractive in every way to everyone we come in contact with. Help us, Lord, to be a piece of the puzzle for someone else who is seeking the truth about Jesus. Today, Father, there are people here who are seeking the truth about Jesus in their personal life. And I pray, God, that you would reveal your love to them today. Help us as we leave here to make the gospel attractive in every way to all those we come in contact with. And as we're continuing to pray today, church, we're in a mode of prayer. Maybe today you came to thrive. And you know today is your day because you want to give your life to Jesus. The same decision I made in 1999. You're like, man, I want to make that decision today. You want to give your life to Christ. You want a fresh start. You want to be forgiven of your sins. You want to be made right with God. But you've come to church on the right day, right where you're sitting. I want you to make this confession of faith by praying after me right where you're at. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself. 
But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I believe he is sitting at your right hand right now. And today, God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. God, today, thank you for receiving me into your family. I pray, God, that you would help me to make the gospel attractive in every way in my life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, in a few weeks, we're starting a brand new series called, it's going to be the best series ever, called What Would Jesus Undo? You've heard of What Would Jesus Do, right? I wonder what Jesus would, if Jesus could come hang out with us today, what would he undo in our society? Two weeks that series starts. If you will, turn your attention to the screen for our promo.